Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 351 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Stephanie is talking with Bill Burnett and Dave Evans about taking charge and designing the life you want to live. Today's podcast is brought to you by Termageddon, Rankings.io, Text Expander, and Latera. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. So, Zach, I'm super excited for everyone to hear this interview with Bill and Dave. Mm-hmm. For those who went to CleoCon back in 2019, they were on the, the main stage and they wrote a book called Designing Your Life, which led to Designing Your Work Life. And their whole work evolves around how they can teach people a process to have a better life. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so this was fascinating to me because, and we're going to talk about this more in the show, this idea of like, what are you passionate about? Or what do you find fun? Or in your case, what makes you happy? And for so many people, mm-hmm. they don't know how to answer that. What seems to be a very simple question, especially as adults, right? Like, what do I enjoy doing? What does make me happy? Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to share the process that you went through a couple of years ago to answer that question for yourself. Cause I just think this is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So my wife was nice enough to me to allow me some leeway in figuring out what I wanted to do. There's a difference to me between what you like to do, what brings you joy and diversion. Some people play sports for diversion. Some people play sports because it brings them joy. And all of these things that we do in our lives on the weekends and whatnot, their diversions or their fun or, or whatever. And so I wasn't sure exactly what the things I did were. What were the things that actually kind of fundamentally made me happy? And I wouldn't say I took some time off, but I allowed myself and my wife allowed me to have some space to take some classes, to go online and think back to, okay, what, what is it that I'm interested in? And I went down a lot of dead ends. Went down a lot of paths where I was like, oh, that's not something that I that I want to do. But it it was different than when I got out of college and I feel like I took jobs and said, oh, I know I don't want to do that. And so I kind of like went into a job or a profession through knowing what I didn't want to do, not knowing right. what I did want to do. And so in this time, I took a lot of courses on programming and expanding upon things that I had done as a kid, things that I knew brought me joy. And that exercise, and this exercise took, you know, a year at least, but that exercise, the start of that exercise to my job at Lawyerist is a direct path. Mm. I went from not knowing exactly, you know, what brings me joy and what I like to do to having a lot of things that I, I know are, I don't want to say my passions, but they're, they're kind of uniquely me. They're the things that I like to do. I like to tinker. I like to build things almost doesn't matter what it is. I just like to build things. Yeah. And now you, you build things in your day-to-day work at Lawyerist and you're also 
always telling us about all the cool things you're building on the weekends. You've built yeah. a kiln recently. I don't know. Like I can't even keep up with all the contraptions. It's so much <laughs> fun to hear about. Yeah, we're I actually just ordered all the internal pieces for the kill that I'm putting together here in a little bit just to I don't know exactly where it's going to go and I and this is the thing that my wife allowed me is I don't know exactly where it's going to end but I know that the process is fun. And then I think just for for the Thanksgiving the fall sort of area we're building a trebuchet in the backyard and we're going to launch some pumpkins just out of some fun. Again, it's not anything spectacular. It's not anything, you know, I'm, I'm not saving the world with any of this. And I don't know exactly what the end game is, but the process is fun. And I've learned that the process is extremely fun for me. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, it reminded me, I had forgotten about this, but I did something kind of similar. I didn't take a lot of classes, but when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next professionally, I just did like a mind map exercise where I wrote mm. down Things that came to mind were some volunteer work I had done. At the time, mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of my volunteer work had this common theme of teaching. Like I was teaching financial literacy yeah. to these you know, women who were returning to the workforce. I was going down to Haiti and teaching at a college there and helping people build business plans. Like, you know, I was teaching and I, I saw these common themes and I was like, huh, maybe there's something there where I want to spend more of my time teaching and that is actually what led me to the job that I have at Lawyerist, which now I teach lawyers how to build their business. And right. But I didn't realize that until I kind of had to do a thoughtful exercise and I saw all these like, oh, these pieces are kind of fitting together. And I see it a lot in the in my volunteer work or other jobs I had. I had to think about what did I really love about that job? Right. So if you're not sure how to answer that question, I mean, I guess people should I mean, this book, the interview today is going to give people ideas. But mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of like being intentional and, and actually giving yourself the time and space to answer those questions. Yeah, I think absolutely. Intentional is the word that comes to, to mind. It can get frustrating, obviously, <laughs> but kind of living in that, not knowing exactly where it's going, allowing yourself the space to explore mm -hmm. a little bit of what, what is you. That's hard. That's hard for me. Mm -hmm. I like. I like results. I like goals. <laughs> I'm not good in the unknown. And I think lawyers are that way. I mean, if we're going to broadly gen generalize, um, and then I think a lot of lawyers are that way. And so it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's, I'm motivated by this thing. I have these goals. I'm, I'm going and I'm accomplishing these things. And this is kind of contrary to that feeling. Yeah. So I hope if people are listening, maybe it'll inspire someone. And if it does, we, you know, reach out and let us know. I'd love to hear mm -hmm. what people do in their exploration and where they land. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so now we have Zach's conversation with Termageddon and then my conversation with Bill and Dave. Hey, y'all. It's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist. Today, I'm joined again by Hans and Donata Skillroot from Termageddon. Now, for the uninitiated, Termageddon is a privacy policy generator, a terms and conditions generator, and a website disclaimer generator. Really, it's an easy way to keep your clients up to date on internet privacy issues on their websites. Hans, Donata, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Zach. We're very excited to talk to everybody about privacy policies. So I guess let's kind of get down to the, the basics of that then. Why do we need, or, or more importantly, why do our clients need privacy policies on their websites? Yeah, so if your client has a modern website, chances are they have a contact form. A newsletter sign up form or analytics. 
mm-hmm. their websites. And those features collect personal information. And personal information is now being regulated by privacy laws across the United States and the world. And mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't realize is that privacy laws can apply to your clients regardless of where they're located. So just because your clients are in the United States, that does not mean that the privacy laws of the European Union um, or Canada or the UK uh, don't apply to them. And those privacy laws require websites that collect personal information to have a privacy policy that makes very specific disclosures that are required by those laws. And so it's not just about having a privacy policy just in general. It's about having the right privacy policy, giving people the appropriate knowledge as they go in. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to grab a privacy policy from wherever. And as long as I have that thing at the bottom of the website, the set that tells you where that is, then I'm fine. That's not the case anymore. Correct. Yes. So it's all about the privacy laws that apply to your clients. And I think a lot of people assume that if GDPR applies to your clients and you have a GDPR compliant privacy policy, that means you're complying with all the privacy laws. Um, And that's really not true. So each law has very specific and unique disclosures that are required. And you need to make sure that your client's privacy policy has those specific disclosures or else it's not going to be compliant with all the privacy laws that apply to them. And the reason for why you don't want to copy and paste a template too is because privacy laws are constantly changing. There are 20 Mm -hmm. privacy bills in the U.S. alone, each on a state-by-state basis, where, you know, again, as Donata mentioned, it doesn't matter where your website or your business is located. If your website's collecting personal data from people from those states and those privacy bills pass, you're going to have to update your privacy policy with the newly required disclosures. So specifically, if I have a client that is located in Nashville, Tennessee, and there's no privacy law necessarily in Tennessee, and I'm not sure this is the case, but let's say there's nothing there and I think, okay, well, I don't have to worry about it, but that's not the case. We've got to worry about, do they connect with California residents or Colorado residents or Arizona? What what are all the places that, that we kind of need to think about? Does my client touch residents of, uh, residences of these places? Yeah, so it's collecting their personal information, doing business there, having customers there, or offering goods or services there. So it's really the states that you need to think about right now, at least, are um, Colorado and Virginia starting in 2023. Um, Mm -hmm. California has two privacy laws that are in effect right now. Also, Delaware and Nevada. Mm -hmm. And then outside of the United States, uh, Canada, UK, EU, and Australia as well. Um, You definitely want to make sure that your clients are complying with those privacy laws if they apply to them. That seems like a lot to keep up with for one attorney who is not necessarily specializing in that. And so a tool like Termageddon that gets embedded on the client's website, or even you guys have an offer right now for the the lawyers to test these out, to, to kind of take a test drive of these on their own website. But this gets embedded on that website. And as these changes are made or affect what the privacy policy should say, you guys are able to make those changes for people. That's right. Yeah. We have a law firm partner program where we give law firms um, that are business uh, related, um, Mm -hmm. business law firms, a free set of our policies forever. And we do that in the hopes that they're willing to, you know, kick the tires and test out our product for comprehensiveness and see Mm -hmm. if they like the tool and see if they could see themselves benefiting and helping their clients 
keep their own website policies up to date. So you get a free license for your own website that includes a privacy policy, terms of service, and disclaimer. Um, there are so many law firm websites that do not have disclaimers. Um, and uh, we, yeah, we do that. It's free forever in the hopes that you like our product and, are, and consider um, you know purchasing licenses to help your clients. And then we provide lots of resources on how you can bill your clients for not only generating a privacy policy for them mm -hmm. and drafting and customizing it, uh, but also how you can bill your clients in the future when new laws pass, new laws pass and new disclosures become required. Yeah. And as a lawyer who used to write privacy policies myself, I can say that by using Termageddon, you're going to save a lot of time that you normally would have spent Frankensteining a bunch of templates together. Um, and I'd be willing to bet that you're going to save at least a few hours by generating these policies with Termageddon instead of writing them from scratch. That's exactly what had come to my mind is I'd, I've done enough of grabbing privacy policy from here, putting them together and getting them onto the website that this is easier, more simple, and you know certainly much faster than, than anything that I would have ever done. And more importantly, probably better, yeah. <laughs> you know, higher quality. So, and you guys have an offer. If people want to learn more about this, they can visit termageddon.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page to find the law firm partners page, and they can receive their free license to test it out. As, as Hans was saying, kick the tires guys. Thank you again for, for being with us today. It's always nice to hear more about privacy policies and, and making sure that we're protecting ourselves, our clients, and frankly, you know, the public. Of course. Thank you so much for having us. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, Zach. Thanks guys. We'll see you next time. All right. I'm excited to be joined today by Dave and Bill. So guys would love for you to introduce yourselves. Hi, this is Dave and I'm glad to be here. And this is Bill Burnett. I'm also glad to be here and really excited to chat with you guys about designing your work life. Yeah. And so to set this up, Dave Evans, Bill Burnett, they have written several books, the first of which is Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life. And then from there, you guys really dug into how to design your work life. And I'm excited to dig into some of these concepts today because it really resonated with me. This is a book I read a couple of years ago. I think some of our listeners will remember seeing you at Clio at the conference back in 2019. All right. I guess where I'd love to just start this conversation is something that resonates with what we teach in our community, this idea of intentionality and that you have to actually be intentional in designing or building your life and your work life. You can't just think your way through it or dream about it. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about what that means and how that looks. We do believe that coming up with a well-built, joyful life is the, everybody's goal. People want meaning and purpose in their lives. Yeah, and you're right. It doesn't just happen, you know, as you as so you sort of stumble forward. The other thing, though, we've, we've noticed that a lot of people are trying to make plans, and plans don't always work because, you know, particularly when you run into things like global pandemics and all the other disruptions that we've faced recently. So we're always... We're always about designing your future, and we always design two or three or four of them because that's the best way we know to um, to really do a, to a, a generative approach to how you're going to make your life work for you. And we, we really want to encourage people that they have more options than they think. You know, we wrote this second book, Designing Your Work Life, uh, being updated to Designing Your New Work Life, actually this October. Because 69% of U.S. workers and 85% of global workers are disengaged at work, where we spend most of our time. 
and they want a better job. Now, if you're in a profession, you're a lawyer, you know, you don't want to throw over your profession. You think that might be a lifelong calling. Holy cow, how do I get a better job? I'm, quote, stuck being a lawyer. Well, our centerpiece idea on that is called, hey, don't resign, redesign. You know, you don't have to stop being a lawyer. You can redesign in place. We've got a variety of ideas about how to do that. But the truth is the best person to get a better job from is you. And you have more agency right where you're sitting than maybe you think. And there are ways to experiment your way forward and do these prototypes and start making even small changes with big psychic dividends. Yeah. And Bill kind of hinted at this a second ago. One of the things I underlined when I first read your first book was that in the U.S. alone, you said more than 31 people between 44 and 70 want this idea of an encore career, one that combines personal meaning, continued income and social impact. And that really struck out to me when I first read it, because I was like, yes, everyone knows they're searching for these things, but they really have no idea where to begin. And I think they're often scared it's too late, right? Like you talk about that, like, how can I even make a change? Like, I've got my JD, I've got a practice. I'm not going to just go, I don't know, sell sunglasses on the beach. I mean, maybe they think about it, (laughs) but maybe you're here to tell us we don't have to go to those extremes. Oh, certainly not. And, you know, we're talking to folks here on this podcast about their lawyer. They chose into that profession. It's a noble profession. They wanted to help people, probably. You know, maybe they even had dreams someday of, you know, presenting in front of the Supreme Court or something. And then they find themselves in a practice that maybe isn't as as alive as they want it to be or as exciting as they want it to be. And it's getting tougher and tougher, you know, to charge fee for services. And so, you know, all these changes are happening. Then you get a pandemic and then everybody goes remote. And, um, you know, it's really hard to figure out exactly how am I going to have the impact I want? So we have structures, we have frameworks for things like that. We have a thing we call the impact map, where you really look at where, you know, where in the world do you find the most impact for your time? We have a tool called the energy map, where we just look at your week and you go, why on, on Friday am I always so darn tired? I seem to be working harder and getting less results. And so, you know, these frameworks, energy mapping, impact mapping, and some others really help people with that question of, well, how do I start? I know I want a more meaningful career. I want my practice to be more meaningful and exciting. I want to have impact. Where do I start on these questions? And we have all these tools because designers have frameworks and designers have tools for coming up with futures that have never been true before. I mean, designers make stuff all the time. I was at Apple for seven years working on the brand new brand new thing called a laptop before it ever had occurred back in the 90s. And, you know, designers are good at making stuff that's never, never been in the world before. And that's what these tools are for, is to help you figure out how do I come up with a future that does have the meaning and impact that I want. Yeah. One thing I didn't hear you say is something about finding passion, right? Like you I know you talk about this in the book. We hear this word used a lot. Oh, go find your passion. You got to do what you're you're passionate about. I think you'd say that's not the framework you want to approach this work. Well, you know, we're getting the rep as the anti-passion guys. And and, (laughs) and that's not really true. We're not anti-passion. We're very passionate ourselves. We're pro-passion. We're just anti what we call the dysfunctional belief that a passion precedes everything. The a priori commitment that you must, you know, what is your passion? That's the starting place. You know, because the question, what's your passion, believes a whole bunch of things. It believes that everybody has one, that you know it up front, that the world will let you do it and make a living, you know, and that will be very satisfying to you and last a long time. And eh, none of those things is actually true. 
you know, eight out of 10 people answer the what's your passion question with either, gosh, I don't know, Dave, I haven't found one, I hope to, or I've got a bunch. Which one did you want to hear about first? Now, those eight out of 10 people are completely normal human beings. And so if your question takes a normal person and calls them in trouble and in need of remediation for vocational wayfinding, you've got a problem. So pick your questions more carefully. You know, lawyers are really good at the question really matters. So watch which ones you fall for. Now, we're in favor of finding passions or growing passions. Passions more often the outcome of the well-lived life than the starting place. By the way, if you have a brilliant organizing passion you can pursue and is available to you, go for it. There's no rule that says that's the right place to start. One thing we're, we've noticed is, you know, everybody is is more than one person. Everybody is more than one thing they're interested in. So one of our newest tools is the thing called the maker mix. Because people say, hey, what do you make? You know, and they usually mean how much money are you make. And that's an answer in, you know, in the market economy, but there's also the impact economy and the creative economy. And so people, you know, want to make a difference in the world and people want to be makers. You know, we're design guys, we do a lot of makering. You know, Bill's an artist. So we help people identify how they can experience other forms of their expression, making an impact of this kind, making a, a creative outcome of the other kind, all as ways of adding value to what they're doing. It doesn't have to show up on the invoice to the client for it to matter. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people just maybe let out a sigh of relief because that passion question does trip everybody up. So if they're sitting here listening to this and they're like, I am kind of miserable and I don't know why, What's the first tool or what's, how do they even kind of get started to getting unstuck? Well, most of our tools and what we say is, you know, designing your life thing isn't that, it isn't a one, two, three, hey, start here and there, boom, you're done, your life is designed. Because design is a sort of a ongoing process. You're always, you know, coming up with new ways to think about the future and come up with other ways of exploring impact, expression, making money, all the things that we want to do. So. The first thing to do is, you know, design works in reality. We have a thing on the cover of both books. If you take the dust jacket off, embossed in the cover, there's a little arrow that says you are here, which means start in reality. Assess where you're at. How's the practice going? How many hours are you working? Are you making enough money? Are you making enough connections with people? Assuming you want to help people, you have to connect to the people you want to help. So we, we do these little assessments. We do some journaling. We call it the Good Time Journal. In the second book, we have a thing called the Good Work Journal. Like how, how does work make us feel during the day? And a lot of these assessments really do move out of the head and into the heart. You know, what am I feeling? How am I approaching my day, my week, my practice in this case? And you do the assessments because that's start here. And then we have a really simple rule. Set the bar low. <laughs> Set the bar low and clear it. Like, what small change can you make this week in your impact, in your expression, in, you know, in, in your energy that might be a prototype for a, a future that works a little better? And you make these small changes because we know in the science of behavior change, you know, making big changes is impossible. They're not sustainable. you got to take little steps, reinforce those changes, build new habits. And so it's a set the bar low method with a, an assessment of, you know, you are here. What's the reality of your situation? Yeah, And we find that that's, that's doable. People can do that. They, they really can take that on. It's not a big task. Let me piggyback on that real quick, if I may. Because for years now, in fact, the, the, 
one of the very first stories of the first book is about an unhappy lawyer. <laughs> and, you know, Bill and I have now over the last, gosh, six years, been talking to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in person, face to face. And far and away, the head of the line of the unhappy camper department are lawyers. You know, we've heard the phrase, well, I'm a recovering lawyer. You right. know, so many times you can't count. Now, hopefully that's not everybody listening to, to this podcast, but there might be some people out there. And there's a, there's a philosopher named James Carse that Bill likes a lot. And he wrote this interesting little book called Finite and Infinite Games, which people either kind of love or hate, but it's a very simple idea. And a finite game, according to James Carse, is a game that you play by the rules in order to win. And an infinite game is a game where you play with the rules in order to get to keep playing. Now, what we have noticed is this is true of lawyers and secondarily is true of architects um, who are people in a profession and they will often say, you know, I love the law, but just hate being a lawyer. Right. Okay, now right there is an interesting combination of a finite and an infinite game. So if you love the law, you love the idea of the law, you love justice, you love something about this thing, that's an infinite game you want to get to keep playing. You want to find a way to enjoy that. Now, may you feel stuck in your practice. And Bill and I both run small businesses, and we're aware of all the constraints that go into that. But here's the invitation. The invitation is you can change more rules than you think. You can find a way to monkey around with your practice. There are some things right now you feel bound by that we want to encourage you to believe aren't really hard rules. We were a couple of you know New York management consultants who ended up reinventing themselves, living in a little cabin in Colorado and doing a bunch of remote stuff. And guess what? They're getting away with it. You know, you can change the way you do things. You know, you can change your billing structure. You can change the way you interact with your clients. You can change going into the office. Maybe there's somebody in the practice that really likes doing all that overhead stuff. Well, let her do it. There are ways you can reorganize that. So yeah. I think that when it's your firm. One thing you can prototype and make little tiny trial and error experiments with, we call prototypes, is play with the rules. You're in charge more than you think. I love that. And what Bill was saying with the assessments, it so resonates. I had a coaching call with a lawyer recently, and she just came to the call and she's like, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, tearful, overwhelmed. And you could just sense the pressure you know, literally on her. But as we started to unpack that, because she she was approaching it as like the entire business, everything is overwhelming me. It turned out when we started to peel it back, there was one client who was texting her, you know, 20 times a day. And it was ridiculous. And suddenly I was like, guess what? You're going to call that client today and say, never text me again <laughs> or, or something, <laughs> right? Like, like, I was like the client. Just exactly. The client. Yeah. exactly. I was like, and we, we talked about that too. And I was like, you know, if that's the source of all this pain and anxiety, but she didn't realize it because it was just showing up as everything, but you really have to kind of dig in. I think that's what your tools in this book do is really help you kind of peel it back and look layer by layer as what is it that's bringing me down or getting me frustrated or making me feel overwhelmed or making me feel happy. And I know, Bill, you talk about this in the energy map, and I've used that advice and shared that advice with many people over the past couple of years because it really resonated that you can put different activities next to each other. So I wonder if you could chat about that for a minute and explain what that is. Yeah, sure. You know, it's a very simple idea. You know, we get to the end of the week and sometimes we say, wow, I'm exhausted. I didn't even know what I did, but I, I'm exhausted and I'm not sure I got anything done. 
So a lot of people, when we were writing the book, said, hey, you're going to deal with time management. Huh? And we said, no, actually, we don't know anything about time management. Go to Stephen Covey or Seven Habits or somebody like that. But I can't make more time, but I can make more energy because the way we feel is how we you know, perceive the week and we can change our perceptions. That's doable. So what you do is you take all the activities you did over the week and you just look at your, your look at your um, Google calendar or your, your task list or whatever, you know, the billable hours list or however you want to look at it. Put all the activities that are major, including personal activities, you know, went for a run, went to the gym, you know, dinner with my daughter, whatever. Put that on a, on a timeline from Monday to Friday and then rate each activity. This was a high energy activity when I, and the test is when I left the activity, I had more energy than when I started. Or when I left the activity, I was drained. I was, I was less energetic than when I started. And you put those, you have some bars that go up, some bars that go down. It's in relation to one another. There's no scale. It's just some are high, some are medium, some are low energy, on and on. You have bars up and down, up and up, up and down. And then you look at it, you make that assessment. You say, look at my week. Wow. Why do I leave all my billing activities and all of my, you know, status report activities to Friday night, the Friday afternoon, which I always goes late and always makes me unhappy. And, I, right. and, and then I'm, I'm late for dinner. I'm late for my kids' soccer game, whatever it is. And you look at the things that are kind of messing up the energy of the, of the week and you do a couple of things. One, there's a psychological thing called the first last effect. You only remember the last thing you did in the week and you remember the best thing, best last, best thing you did in the week and the last thing you did in the week. Put the best thing towards the end. Put the last thing, the thing that's dragging your energy down on Thursday. Don't do it on Friday. You can also put two positives around a negative and sort of null out the experience. And you can change what you're interacting with. Most of the negative experiences are you're interacting with a screen. Mm-hmm. Or in this other case, a really needy client <laughs> who just needs someone to talk to. It's like, you want to rent someone to talk to at my rates? That's kind of crazy. You should go find a therapist. It's it'll be cheaper. But anyway, so you can you can move things around in time. You can move things around in space. Do things in different places that are more energetic. Get out of the office. Go to the coffee shop. And you can change the order of things. And the goal is at the end of the week to be able to say, "Hey, that was a pretty good week, and I got a lot done." And I'm I'm heading into the weekend feeling energetic. Yeah. So it's a very simple tool. It's a really easy assessment is, again, set the bar low, making small changes, small adjustments of, of your week, one thing at a time until you have a week where you can report at the end of every week pretty reliably. That was a good week. I feel great. I love it. We need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to dive into some, you know, pandemic stuff. <laughs> Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Minimize effort, maximize productivity with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. Drive faster results in three steps. One, create. Make snippets of text for support responses, sales outreach, or even common emails to save them in Text Expander. Two, trigger. Just type a few characters and watch the snippet automatically expand your text. You can add fill in the blank or more complex functionality to customize your message. Three, share. Share snippets across your organization. Your team can customize and insert the text in any app on Mac, Windows, Chrome, or iOS with a few keystrokes. Are you a startup looking to scale? Text Expander is here to help you on your journey. Check out Text Expander for Startups, a program that's specifically designed to help startup teams communicate more consistently, accurately, and efficiently. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. 
Visit TextExpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, helping hyper-competitive personal injury attorneys dominate first-page rankings through search engine optimization to become better recognized as the leading law firm in your metro. Rankings is solely focused on SEO for personal injury law firms. You'll work with an entire team of SEO specialists dedicated to helping clients dominate search results with unparalleled industry expertise. Rankings focuses on proof, not promises, by delivering results and never leaving their clients in the dark. You will receive monthly reports that give a full snapshot of where you stand as you watch your firm climb to the first page of Google and generate high-value leads. Most importantly, you'll be one of an elite few. Rankings' unrelenting conviction to be the best drives them to do everything to ensure the personal injury law firms working with them are dominating the search results. To see if you're a fit, visit rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. Today's podcast is brought to you by Latera. Delivering high quality work on time and on budget is what matters most to your clients. Latera helps law firms maximize client retention rates, increase profit margins, and enhance lawyer happiness. In short, they simplify complex workflows by connecting legal teams to the data they need every day. The result? End user happiness. Most of the world's largest law firms, boutique firms, and corporate legal departments trust Latera to help their legal teams manage all of their documents, deals, cases, and data. Are you ready to join them? Latera is excited to hear about the challenges facing your organization, show you their software in action, or simply discuss whatever else might be top of mind. Get a demo with their document experts today by visiting latera.com forward slash lawyerist. All right, guys, we're back. And I mean, on the one hand, I think everyone's just sick of talking about the pandemic. But on the other, I know that you guys have created some really helpful framework, I think is maybe the way I would call it, because this is impacting us, right? And and, and some people are kind of stuck. How do I even design a, a better life if this is the reality I'm living in? And I know you have some good words of advice on this. So Dave, what do you say to these people? Well, first of all, we, we sort of got forced into this. I mean, very quickly after the pandemic hit, you know, a year ago, half ago, people started calling up and saying, hey, how do we design our lives? How do we design our work now? And we, and we, and we answered uh, the same, only it's just a lot harder. Right. And that was, people said, no, no, there's gotta be more to it. And so, you know, we looked into it, we actually developed a YouTube channel, and now we've even got this, you know, second edition of our book coming out in October with four whole new chapters on disruption design. The pandemic is an example of a global disruption, but disruptions can be personal or regional. Um, and anything that means it's never going to be the same again is a disruption. Yeah. So when it comes our way, the thing we particularly started noticing in people's language was, gosh, I just can't wait for this to be over, or I'm so sick of waiting for the change to end. I want to go back. When are we going to get restarted? So that language all told us the mindset of people speaking like that, which is almost everybody we heard from was that they were stuck in what we call the waiting room. I'm in the pandemic penalty box and I want to get let out so I can go back to my life. And that's a misperception. And so the first thing is, you know, a reframe that you're not in the waiting room. If you're thinking like you're in the waiting room and you're going to get to go back, you're probably not designing a happy future because the future is going to be fundamentally different. Things are never going to be the same again. Hybrid work is here with us to stay and a whole bunch of other changes. You know, all the people we've lost are not coming back. I mean, some people on the street are hearing this, have literally had family members lost to COVID. 
Bill and I both had family members lost, not to COVID, but to other things in the last year. And it's a big deal. So that means step one is to accept that things will never be the same again and have the mindset of a curious person like, gee, I wonder what the future world is going to be like uh, in order to start preparing for that future that we can't fully anticipate yet, which means you have to do your acceptance of this difficult moment that we're all living through in a particular way. There are three kinds of acceptance, oppressive, suppressive, and generative. And I will let Bill explain uh, because it's terribly important to pick the right acceptance. Okay. Yeah. So oppressive acceptance is like, um, oh gosh, this, this pandemic is so hard, but I guess I'll just have to, I'll find a way. I don't know. You know, you know you're the victim and you can accept victimhood, but it's not, that's not going to be successful in the long run. Suppressed obsessed. I'm stronger. Which lawyers than would I, love, I, by the way, lawyers would love suppressive acceptance, I think. Yeah, yeah. The suppressive is, you know, I'm stronger than this. I can push this down. You know, this pandemic's not going to get the better of me. I'm just going to stuff my feelings, right? And I'm not going to think about it. Well, you know, stuffing your feelings, any good psychologist would tell you is going to come back to you, you know, 10x in some kind of a negative way. So neither of those is, is a good idea. And, you know, this idea that you're in the waiting room, is terribly disempowering, right? Yeah. I mean, um, we've all sat in the waiting room, waiting for the doctor's appointment. The doctor's appointment is supposed to be at nine o'clock. It's 9.30, it's 9.40. You know, we're still not in the doctor's room. And, and then you're just going to put us in another room and, you know, in a cold room with a paper thing on. And they're going to make us wait another 20 minutes. And it's really frustrating. So you got to get out of the waiting room and you got to get out of oppressed and suppressed acceptance to what we call generative acceptance, where you're saying, okay, look, this is the reality right now. We're not going back. And we still don't know where the other side look is yet. You know, we have a little diagram in the book of, you know, a gap between where we are right now and wherever it's going to be when the pandemic quote is over. And who knows if what shape that's going to take. Right. And then other disruptions, you know, will come along as well. So we've got to get into a place where we can accept that here's where we're in. You are here. Here's where we are. We can design from here because we've got lots more agency than we think. We don't have to just sit around and wait. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great when you say it. It still feels hard. <laughs> well, it is hard. And what you and this is where, you know, behavior is your friend. I mean, a good a good colleague of ours, BJ Fogg, wrote a book, came up at the same time as our second book called Tiny Habits, you know, the mm -hmm. you know, the, the important power of getting changes to occur in your life and by making small moves. And they're behavioral moves. You know, this is why design thinking is not an analytic process. We don't think our way forward. We do not evaluate our way forward. We do not analyze our way forward. We build our way forward, which is an empirical action that we take. So a generative acceptance of the pandemic would go, well, okay, I don't know really what the future is going to be like, but these changes are real. I know I'm going to you know, what would it, my wife would say, what would a cheerful person do? And we would often say, what would a curious person do? Like, well, I wonder how clients like and dislike the way we've changed the way we service them in this pandemic model. Let's go have some conversations. Let's lean into it. And you start taking these curious actions, these set the bar low inquiries. You know, step one is empathy and design. Let's go be empathetic with how people have changed things. There are actually hidden pandemic dividends yes lying all over the place yeah i there love are that. little wins and these changes go find out what they are and see if you can't redesign 
your legal practice around making the most of those and pick the ones that actually work for you. I'm not trying to be, this is not, by the way, uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That analogy is cute, but there's a fundamental problem with it. The fundamental problem is you've got this thing you really, really don't want, a lemon. And you know that, that horrible thing, right in the essence of its horribleness, there's a little gift if you just knew how to throw some sugar on it. Okay, that's BS in real life. The horrible part of the pandemic is utterly horrible. We're not saying there's anything about that that is really nice and that you can just throw honey on and suddenly will taste great. What we're saying is these profound changes require alterations, some of which have generativity and some of, of which can be life-giving in them. You know, we're in a horrible thing for horrible reasons, but we're not trying to pretend anything about those facts. We, we have great respect for the personal costs that people are going through. That being said, there are things in these changes that you can turn into benefits if you design around them positively, but you have to get curious and you have to lean into it. I love that. I love that idea of curiosity and empathy. And that lines so much with what we teach lawyers in our community. And I'll be, I, I am seeing it. I'm having more conversations with lawyers who are like, okay, this is where we are. And maybe Maybe this video thing isn't so bad. Maybe there's a time where it can help. And I had a discussion with judges recently where they were like, actually, there have been some things we've learned along the way that could stay with us and make a lot of sense. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you guys say. Yeah, you know, just a really quick example. Um, obviously, we were all online at Stanford last year. and We learned how to do that. And I think we did a pretty good job. And we're going to, and we're all back in person this year. It's all, you know, everybody's vaccinated, tested every week. And um, so, but one of the things we're going to keep is Zoom interviews like this one, because mm. I, I had amazing people come to my design classes last year. I had Johnny Ives, the head of Apple Design, come to class. I had the head of the studios of uh, innovation at Target come to class. I had people come to class who could never come to class because they didn't live in the Bay Area, because it would have been too disruptive for their schedule. So, you know, there are some things that have turned out in this virtual format to work better than we thought. Plus, this whole idea of a chat, you know, the chat going on in the side, that's been fantastic for teaching because it gives us an insight into what the students are actually thinking about. So there are examples, if you get curious about what, what's, what the changes have been that, that turn out to be positive. But as Dave said, look, if, you know, if, if you've lost your job, if, this is, if you're in the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, any of the hospitality industries, I know that's not your audience, but that, you've, been, you've been wiped out. And some of those things just aren't ever coming back. So you are really in a big reinvent phase of your life. But, you know, again, we call the new chapters in the book Disruption Design because disruption is coming. Before the pandemic, we still had global, you know, climate instability. We still have, you know, floods in the South and a five-year drought in the West. AI is still coming. And AI and, and you know, and how it's going to impact the, uh, the legal industry, it's a huge, a huge disruption coming. And so, you know, you, you got to get good at figuring out how to be nimble in the face of all of this change. And it's not just the pandemic. And the reason we didn't focus only on that in the second edition of the second book was, you know, we had been thinking about, well, gee, the jobs are going to change with AI and, you know, and automation. And that's going to be a huge impact. Global climate change is going to, you know, wipe out entire coastal communities and yeah. cause a huge immigration. You know, so what, how are we going to deal with all this stuff? We've, we've got to get We've got to get more flexible and more nimble. We've got to start thinking more like it's a design problem than it's something we can plan around. Yeah. And I, let me, I want to double down on something Bill said there. It's a really good example that I think for lawyers, see lawyers, 
in my experience, and we've done a lot of work with lawyers. I used to be the organizational development consultant to a very, very large law firm in, in Silicon Valley. So I've been on the inside of law firms for a long time. And lawyers are incredibly good at the rules. They're incredibly analytic. And they're incredibly good at trying to deal with the problem at hand. But that's that, you know, watch what you wish for. Because if you know the problem too well, you're going to get stuck places you don't need to be stuck. Now, Bill and I are incredibly smart guys. We're very successful businessmen. We taught at Stanford. You know, we have lots of degrees between us. We both talk fast. I talk frighteningly fast. And, you know, we know what we're doing. And so when the pandemic, when, when remote hit, you know, we canceled our coaching certification training. You know, you talk about you do some coaching to lawyers. We train and certify coaches. Well, that's a very community intensive experience. That's a very person to person experience. We know you have to be present in the room together with us for that to really work. So we canceled. Time goes by, time goes by. You know, it's not a four month, six month thing. And finally, we kind of, well, I guess we're going to have to try this remote thing. You know, so we tried doing an online training, which we were pretty sure was going to fail because, you know, we know a lot about teaching. And between us, we've got about 45 years of, you know, teaching experience. And immediately, the user reviews of the online experience were far better than the in-person experience. And the number one improvement was community building, mm -hmm. which is exactly what we knew couldn't happen. And it turned out this chat thing, Bill mentioned the chat, the chat column, we made a decision to let the chat column run nonstop while we were talking and interacting with people. So you're allowed, you know, in the classroom to talk to your neighbor while we're leading from the front. And it turned out the back channel of conversation allowed everybody to talk to everybody all the time. And it worked great. And, you know, a little come, oh, hey, that thing Bill just said, you know, try this article. It's really wonderful. Oh, yeah, I, I did this other training. It's really compliment. And off they, off they go. And because everybody had a chance to speak with everybody that way, you didn't just meet the person in front of you waiting for a bagel during the break. You met everybody. We didn't see that coming. And we're frighteningly smart and good at this stuff. So trust me, lawyers are too damn smart and they know what they're doing too well. There are a bunch of problems you're trying to solve right now that you probably don't need to solve. And there are a bunch of things that you think are stuck that actually could be freeing you if you were willing to lean into it and experiment with it. I'm not sure what those things are in your particular practice, but trust me, there are things you can do with the problems that you currently have getting you stuck that actually are opportunities. Well, thank you so much, Bill and Dave. I feel like we could we could continue this discussion for many, many hours. If you are curious, if you want to learn more about the tools that they're describing to design your life or your work life, I highly recommend both books. I'm a big fan. Like I said, I have I've read them and I've been using them and refer and recommending people to read them for years now. And I know the new editions coming out in October. So look for that and any other resources they should go to for more information. Well, there's lots of stuff. Dave mentioned the YouTube channel. Just go to our website, designingyour.life. And you, know, you can find the videos we've recorded on generative acceptance and getting out of the waiting room and other things that are, are very useful. Plus a bunch of stories from people who've been, you know, using the tools and how they work for them. So, you know, real life human beings are all over the website. So check it out. Awesome. You know, some people, lawyers like to talk and interact. And if so, rather than just read a book, if you'd rather like come to a class, well, you actually can't. We've got a video version of our intensive workshop online at a place called Creative Live. So if you go to creativelive, just like it sounds, .com, and search on Designing Your Life, you'll find the Bill and Dave show. What used to be three or $400 is currently on sale for like 29 bucks. I mean, it's, it's frankly a good deal. 
22 modules you can look at for the rest of your life. So if you, if you like the, the real-time training experience and participating with a number of small groups we're interacting with, that's another form if reading a book isn't your favorite format. Perfect. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. So thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.